Well, I can't wait to unpack the word of the Lord today. I want to say something to you. When I woke up this morning, the Spirit of God spoke to me. And He said, John, strongholds are going to be broken this morning. And can we thank uh, Christy and the worship team? I mean, absolutely amazing. And all those that serve. Just want to tell you, Valley Church, we love you. We really love your pastors. We really love Pastor Lynn and Renee and all this spiritual family. Can't wait to unpack the word. But before I do that, I want to introduce my queen. But also, one more thing. My niece is here. My niece, C.E., and her friend Colton, right, Colton? Yeah, because you guys stand up and C.E., give them a Barbie wave and just tell them hi. <laughs> yeah, praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all lift up our hand again more, one more time. Let's honor his presence here. Amen. Holy Spirit, we want to say thank you. We love you. We adore you. And we worship you, God. Thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have. That you place a desire in our heart to wake up this morning and desire to be in your house. And we want to say thank you. Thank you for your presence dwelling in this place. Thank you, Father, for your promises. Oh, God, we receive your promise that we had prayed earlier. Thank you, Father, for healing our body. We thank you, Jesus, for making us whole. Not only heal our body, but you heal our mind, you heal our emotion. And we thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome in this place. You come and have your way, oh God. You come and speak to us, change us, oh God, through your word as we give you all the glory and honor to glorify your name, oh God. We love you, we bless you, and we worship you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Let's give Jesus a big hand clap. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Again, it's such a joy, such a privilege again to be back here this weekend. Thank you again, Pastor Lynn, Renee. We love you guys. Pastor Rich, we love you and your wife and the, the staff in this church. And I tell you what, we have been enjoying our time here. And not only that, but we just felt the presence of God freely, freely dwelling in this place. Amen. And we know because of your worship and your hunger for the Lord, and it's always a joy to come to a place knowing that he is free reign. Amen? Praise God. We had a great time uh, last few days. And last night we were over at uh, Pastor uh, Lynn and Renee's house. And I tell you what, I just amazed with the sunset at their place. My goodness. My God, I, I, let me listen. I'm from Hawaii. I lived in Hawaii for 20 years. And I actually was born and raised in a little island called Tonga, but I lived in Hawaii longer than in Tonga. And I tell you what, we have beautiful sunset over there. But I was just so amazed with the sunset yesterday with the different color. I think it took almost an hour. I mean, we thought it was done. 
And we turned and we kept on talking. Look up. Oh, my gosh, it's a different color. We ran outside. Take some more pictures. <laughs> it was just amazing. But just talk. Just think at the beauty of God. Amen? No one can turn, can make the sky look like that. Nobody. That's why, I mean, I love going and hiking because I can just see the beauty of God different places. So anyway, I just want to remind you guys we have some resources back in the foyer, book CDs. Don't forget his first book, Song of, Song of the Prophet. Uh, it's the entire book of Song of Solomon. I want to quote to you. Uh, I, I wrote it on someone's uh, book yesterday because she wanted me to sign it. And I put Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 7. And it says, you are so beautiful, there is no flaw in you. Other translation, it says, you are flawless. Other translation, it says, you are no blemish in you. Other translation, it says, listen, I read because we wrote that book. We basically read every translation. Uh, there's another translation. It says there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let me tell you what. When I have an intense di discussion with my husband, <laughs> and I felt like he's winning, I go back to that scripture. Meliana, there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. You are flawless. <laughs> you are perfect. Let me tell you what. Just to read Song of Solomon, it empowered me. You can be discouraged when you read that. Because all the, the, the condemnation, you know, just wash off your mind. That's why it's so important. We need to meditate on God's word. Amen? Also, don't forget his latest book, Awakening the Lion. Perfect book for what's going on right now. Because many of the body of Christ, they hide, afraid, scared of everything, timid about everything that's going around us. But when you know who you are, you'll rise up. Amen. You'll let the glory of God flow out of you. you as his word says, arise and shine for the glory of God has risen among you. Amen. I have some CDs. Do I have some CDs over there? Yeah. I have some of these CDs over here. I wanted to give this away, defeating discouragement. It's so important, especially now, again, we need to destroy whatever comes on us. Amen? Who won this one? Raise your hand real quickly. There's a gentleman in the back, honey, if you can give it to right, him. Right. He raised his hand. Right yeah. Also, I have another one. It's called Hearing the Voice of God. There are so many voices. Sis, did you raise your hand uh, back there? Uh, you raise your hand first. You, yes, you, you hold up your finger like this. You can come get it. Praise God. Uh, hearing the voice of God, especially now because there are so many voices. Many times we get into trouble 
because we can't tell the difference from the voice of God and the voices of the enemies. Amen? But it's so important for you and I to know the difference. Uh, it was a few months ago, John and I, we were on a plane. We were flying. I forgot where we were flying from, but I remember we were flying to Kansas City. And one thing I wondered, uh, if you have been flying or been on a plane, one thing we know, that when the plane landed, uh, the plane will head to the gate. And when the plane arrived at the gate, there is a sound came on, ding, ding. That means you arrive at the gate. But not only that, then the pilot's voice will come on and say, now we arrive at the gate, you can unbuckle, get up, open the overhead, and get your luggage and leave. That's what always happened when you arrive at the gate. So we were flying to, to Kansas City, and I remember the plane landed, and we were heading to the gate. It took a while, a few minutes, and um, all of a sudden, that sound came on. Ding, ding. When that sound came on, everybody unbuckled their seatbelt, got into the aisle, start opening the overhead, and start pulling their luggage out. And when they start pulling their luggage out, then all of a sudden, the meantime, John and I, we were still on a seat because even though the sound, ding, ding, came on, the pilot's voice have not yet come on and say, now we arrive at the gate. You can unbuckle and get your luggage, open the overhead and get your luggage and leave. So, like what I said, when, while everybody get up, get their luggage out, we were still on the seat. Then all of a sudden, the plane, boom, so hard. It felt like it hit a brick wall. We have no idea what happened. But because people were already standing up, they were in an aisle. When that happened, people flew back. And because the overhead was open, the luggage would start dumping on the people that was in the aisle, middle aisle. And when that happened, people were screaming. Some were crying because it, I mean, we had no idea what happened. Like what I said, John and I, we were still on our seat because we were waiting for the pilot. Then somehow the pilot knew what happened, of course, and I'm sure one of the workers told him what happened. Then the pilot's voice came on and said, please, everybody, sit down on your seat and put on your seatbelt. So then those that were able to get up, they got up, find their seat, and put their seatbelt on. Meantime, there were still some people on the floor still laying there. So we were waiting after a while, then we went, arrived at the gate, and they opened the gate. They brought in two wheelchair, come to find out. 
there were two ladies got hurt, still laying on the ground because of what happened. Workers came, helped pick them up, put them in a wheelchair, and wheeled them out. And right after that, then the pilot's voice came on and said, now everybody, you can unbuckle, get up, open the overhead, get your luggage, and leave. So when we got out, we saw those two ladies on the wheelchair. And we know they got hurt because of what happened. Now, why did they got hurt? Why? We all learn because they respond to the ding ding, the noise. <laughs> they respond to the ding dong noises. <laughs> Amen? Instead of waiting for the pilot's voice to come on and says that you arrive at the gate and get up and leave. Now, I learned something that afternoon because there are many in not only the world, but there are many in the body of Christ. We respond to the ding-dong noises you wonder why many people got hurt. Why? Because they respond to the noises instead of responding only to the voice of God. Amen? His word says, my sheep hear my voice. He also said that those who wait on the Lord why they got hurt? Because they were rushing. They were rushing and not waiting for the pilot to tell, to tell us when to unbuckle our seat and leave. Listen, nowadays, I feel so bad. Even good people, not knowing the voice of God, they respond to even the false narrative that the enemies have created. And when our mind and our heart have not yet been in tune to the voice of God, I have seen so many people, it just broke my heart, that I've seen Christians are responding to the wrong noises, to the false narratives that the enemy have created. And they are responding, and many people got hurt. Watch the, the, the protester. The enemy are so good on creating narratives and people are so caught up in it. People got hurt. People are, are following the wrong voices. But God is looking for people, especially nowadays. As I said earlier, my sheep hear my voice. And those who wait on the Lord shall rise up as wings of an eagle. They will run and not weary. They will walk and not faint. Listen, when you follow the footsteps of God, you will not get hurt. He will not guide you and lead you into a place that you will be destroyed, that you will get hurt. Just I, when I look at it, what a perfect example. 
people got hurt when they got up from their seat. While we were safe, we were waiting for the pilot to come on and says, now we arrive at the gate. Now, who's going to wait for, for the voice of God? Amen. It's about time. Amen. That's why it's so important. Every time the church door is open, we need to be here so we can familiarize ourselves with the voice of God. And we can only listen and obey the voice of God. Amen. Give Jesus another big hand clap. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. How many are ready for the God's word? Your life is just about ready to get changed right now. Um, I'm going to share my own airline story right now. And then incorporate the text that I'm going to go to in a few moments. Um, I'm not going to look at my watch today. Because there is such a need in this house for a turnaround. How many came to church you're ready for a turnaround? If you had been with me the last few days, um, since Thursday night, we had the privilege of ministering to the school, and then, of course, Friday night, and then yesterday we had a moment of question and answer. I had shared how my wife and I had, uh, we were actually preaching in Kansas City, and then we got on a plane and flew to Minneapolis. And um, we flew to Minneapolis a day earlier simply because um, of a scripture the Lord had given me. Um, at that moment, the, 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 the racism issue of racism was forefront in our culture and still is. But... The Lord gave me a scripture out of Ezekiel chapter 37, which will not be my text today, that I want to encourage you to understand. God picked up the prophet and put him in the middle of the valley of the dry bones. And the Bible says that he walked among them. Everybody say, walked among them. See, it's very easy for us to come up with a conclusion about what the situation is when we have not walked among them. And so then what we have, we have a culture that prophesies from a distance and not really knowing what really the condition is. And the reason why God picked up the prophet and put him in the valley of the dry bones is because God wanted Ezekiel to see exactly how God saw it. Come on. Because Melian and I do our best not to listen to the ding-dong. Because the ding-dong will get you in trouble. It will get you hurt. It will get you angry at the wrong people. And so, we walked among them. We went to Lake Street, where the incident with George Floyd took place. It was quite an experience. I wept, I cried, I prayed, I prophesied. We were there a few hours. 
But I say that to say this. My next preaching engagement was northern Minnesota, way up near Canada. And unfortunately, my favorite airline, Southwest, does not fly there. So unfortunately, I had to use a different airline. Because Southwest can't get me to Roseau, Minnesota. So I had to book a flight with another airline to Thief River Falls, Minnesota. So we spent the night in Minneapolis Saint Airport is a large airport. In fact, it's one of the largest airports in the country. In fact, it's so large that you have to take a tram to your gate. However, because of the situation with, with airports and airlines, the tram wasn't working. Because I guess, when you know, everybody's going to get sick if they get on the tram, I guess. So we had to walk probably 20, 30 minutes just to get to our gate. I'm not, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. And so to, it's about an hour, hour and a half flight to, to where I was going in Thief River Falls. And then an hour, an hour and a half to where the city was where I was preaching. So we got on the plane. And um, when we got on the plane, there was only three people on the plane. My wife and I and uh, another young man who told me he was a protester. <laughs> and it was a huge plane. It probably sat over 100. It was long and narrow. And uh, I was thinking of the poor airlines, and then they told me we have to fly back and forth. And so we got on the plane. You know, the jetway comes, they close the door, the jetway goes out. We're out on the tarmac. You're talking about a major airport. It's, it's huge. We've been on the tarmac now probably 10, 15 minutes. And I noticed uh, we were kind of all sitting in the middle. We each had our own seat, praise Jesus. And we were all in the middle of the plane. And I noticed that the stewardess, there's a little phone by where the doorway that leads into the cockpit where the pilots fly. There's a telephone. I noticed that she picked up her phone. And then she hung it up. And then she walked back to where we were stand, where we were sitting, rather, and to, to where uh, the young man could hear us and Meliana could, uh, uh, could hear her. And she said, is there anybody that has left their cell phone at the gate? Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. Nowadays, our cell phone is now a part of our body. <laughs> right? It has our credit card information. It has all our contacts. It has all kinds of stuff on that little gadget. And so I looked over and I noticed that Meliana had her cell phone in her hand. And then I looked behind me and I noticed that the young man, the young millennial, had his cell phone in his hands. So guess who left their cell phone at the gate at a major airport in the United States of America? <laughs> now, I want to tell you something. At that moment, 
what could happen to many of us in this room is this. Because I found out from Meliana that cell phones aren't $9.99. They're $1,000 or more. And then the fact is, I've got all kinds of personal information on that cell phone. And I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes there's a tendency to believe that once you've lost something, it's lost forever. So why even bother asking to get it back? Because certainly what can go through your mind is now all kinds of things, thoughts can go in your mind. Oh no, people are going to get my personal ID, take the money out of my account. I'm going to have to close my credit card. All these kinds of things can enter into your mind. You know what? If your mind is not renewed and if you listen to the ding dong. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because that those kind, and then what you could do is you could actually beat yourself up for making a mistake. And, and the thought of ever getting your cell phone back, all these kinds of things can enter your mind, ladies and gentlemen. But I want to tell you right now, not one of those thoughts entered my mind. And it certainly has nothing to do with me but the grace of God. So, here we are on the tarmac, probably now closer to 20 minutes. We're in line to take off. The stewardess has just made aware that I was the individual that, that left the cell phone. So I decided to take charge. Because what do you do when you make a mistake? What do you do what do you, when you've lost something? You don't live on that place and say, I'll never get it back. You don't live in the realm of your mistakes because you'll never accomplish what God has for you. So what I did, Brother Jerry, I looked the stewardess in the eye and I said, ma'am, is there any way we can turn this plane around? Oh, come on, church. See, when you're in a prophetic environment, when you're in an environment of the Holy Spirit, are you hearing what I'm saying? You'll ask things that are absolutely ridiculous. Is there any way we can turn this plane around? Now, I'm 58 years old. I've been flying all my life, ever since I was a baby. And I'm flying more than I've ever had in my life. And let me just tell you, I have never seen an airplane turn around even for somebody who was dying on the plane, let alone for a cell phone. But I will tell you this. Because the Lord has directed me to tell you this. There are people in this room that need a ridiculous turnaround. You need to turn around in your marriage. 
You need to turn around with your children. You need to turn around in your health. You need to turn around in your ministry. You need to turn around for extended family. You need to turn around financially. You need to turn around because how many know America needs to turn around? The church whole as a corporate body needs to turn around. Because there's so much contention happening in our world. And I'll address that in a moment. And I will get back to my story because I want you to turn with me to a very familiar passage of Scripture found in Mark chapter 2. Because we're going to talk about turnarounds this morning. We're going to begin in a moment reading out of verse 1. But I do want to tell you this. I'm going to read out of the NIV and I'll get right back to the story. I'll say this. A few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, everybody say entered Capernaum. You cannot get a turnaround unless Jesus enters you. There's no turnaround without Jesus. A few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. I get this picture in my mind that Jesus comes to his hometown for one purpose, and that's to bring an awakening, to bring a turnaround. Jesus doesn't just enter into somebody or a house or a church just to, just to entertain us. He, brings, he wants to bring a turnaround. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when I ask the stewardess, is there any way we can turn this plane around to go get my cell phone? most people would probably already come to the conclusion that the answer is no. But I want to tell you something. When you turn, want to turn around that bad, no doesn't enter into your vocabulary. Nor your thought life. Of course, when I ask that question, Meliana is sitting right next to me and starts laughing at that moment. And first of all, I was thinking in my mind, I'm going to be up in northern Minnesota for three or four days, and the last thing I want, because there's no Apple store in northern Minnesota, okay? And I can't imagine not having my cell phone with me that long, because I need it. And so the lady smiled, looked at me in the eye, kind of, kind of giggled a little bit. But here's what she did. She turned around and walked to there where that phone was and called the pilot and asked the pilot, is there any way we can turn this plane around? See, many of us haven't seen a turnaround because before we were getting ready to act, we've already talked ourselves out. We've asked for a prayer request, but our brain says, how can that be answered? 
Now I know something, even as she begins to ask the pilot, ultimately the decision is not up to the pilot. Because we're on the tarmac of a major airport in the United States. That means the pilot then would have to go and communicate with the air traffic controller to ask the air traffic controller if he can disrupt the flight schedule. Come on. And the thought of disrupting a flight schedule and a takeoff and landing schedule for somebody's cell phone is absolutely ridiculous. See, I know something. Jesus is in my house. And when Jesus is in my house, Jesus is on this plane. Because I take him wherever I go. Oh, come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? And the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And I thought about this. I thought about this story and I thought about what I'm going to read to you right now. Because not only do we as individuals need to turn around, but there are people that we love and care about that need to turn around. And the greatest joy that my wife and I have, and this is why I love ministry, is that min true ministry is the privilege of participating with Jesus in the turnaround of other people's lives. That's why I don't understand why people don't go, want to go to church. I don't understand why they're saved, but they don't want to be in the house of the Lord. That doesn't make sense to my mind. I don't understand why they don't want to serve. I don't understand why they want to help. Because let me just tell you, when you see somebody healed, when you see somebody melt because of the prophetic word, when you see a life turn around, are you hearing what I'm saying? Something happens to you, you realize it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Because listen to the text. I love this story. He says, some man, came, some man came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now think about this. Think about this. And in, in, get into the story with me. And let me try to do it my best. And I'll get back to the plain story. But think about this for a moment. Think about that we've already established that the house was full. There was no room left. Which meant, Christy, everybody that went to see Jesus had to pass by that paralyzed man. They had to know his conditions. Come on. They had to see how much he was suffering. Yet, they were more concerned about getting to church than they were about the alleviating the suffering of somebody that could, they could be used for Jesus to heal. Let me just say this again. And I thought about this. Because if you understand the narrative, there were those people that really didn't come to church to receive from God. They came to check out God. Let's check out Valley. 
Let's check, let's check out the prophetic. Let's check out the worship team. Let's check out the children's church. You know what? That's the problem with the American church. We just come to church to check out. I don't know about you, but I came this morning not to check out, but I came to check in. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And what happens is, if you, if you come to check out, guess what? And don't check in, you'll leave. Because what will happen is you'll get offended. You'll get offended at Jesus. You'll get offended on crazy guys like around here, like those four guys that bring paralyzed people to church to disrupt the service. You'll get offended at them. Because a full house doesn't mean hungry people. I love preaching to a full house. But I also know, well, let's check out and see if this man is really, truly a man of God. And I can tell you this. And here's what happens I've noticed over the years. That people, they check out this ministry, they check out this ministry, they check out that ministry, but they never check in and experience something, a real turnaround for their life. I want you to hear this. She called. She called the pilot. And I am sitting there, ladies and gentlemen, and I have an image oh, in my mind. I have a vision of holding my cell phone. I have a vision of the plane turning around. And what happens is she calls, she hangs up. Within about two or three minutes, all of a sudden, the plane starts turning around and goes all the way back to the gate. Now, church, I say this, I say this to tell you God sent me here. We closed the revival to come here because I believe that this is the moment for Valley Church. You've had a lot of things going. You've had things happen. But now is the time for a turnaround. How many want to turn around? How many want to turn around? Now, church, I want to tell you, we, we were probably... 20 minutes by now, 20 minutes headed back to, and, and it was amazing. We were the last gate. This is what it, the plane did. The plane parked at the gate. The jetway came out. The, the stewardess opened the door. And then what I saw is I saw a hand, hand the stewardess my cell phone. Ladies and gentlemen, it's behind me. And guess what? That stewardess walked back and handed me my cell phone. Now church, can you imagine if I would have sat on my seat thinking, thinking about the ding-dong? Are you hearing me? Thinking about, oh no, I made a mistake. And the problem is with the church, we've been sitting in our seat Sunday after Sunday dreaming about the ding-dong instead of dreaming about a turnaround.
I can tell you this. It had nothing to do with the cell phone. The cell phone doesn't really mean anything. It's a gadget. It's nothing. What about the turnaround? What about the turnaround of your life? But church, where did it happen? What city did it happen? In Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's the city where there was a turnaround. And I don't care what news source you, you watch. This prophet has a word for you. For those who believe in turnaround, there's a turnaround for you. For those who reject the turnaround, there's no turnaround for you. Because you don't believe in a turnaround. But for those that came to church. Because when I come up to the altar for prayer, I want to turn around for Sister Cooper. I want to turn around for every person that stood up to be healed. I want to turn around for every person I speak the word of the Lord. And I love those four guys. When they saw the condition of that paralyzed man, they said, wait a minute. It's not just about our turnaround. It's not just about us. Because I don't want to come to church empty-handed. I want to bring something to the house of God that needs a turnaround. I want to bring someone into church that needs a turnaround. Because we can't give a turnaround like Jesus can. And I remember sitting on that plane. And as we're going back on the tarmac and getting ready to line up again and take off again. And I'm holding my cell phone. And the Lord says to me, John, see, as long as... Oh, as long as you believe me, as long as you trust me, as long as you put me first, I promise you there will be a turnaround for you and your wife. I will keep you on the road. I will keep you healthy. I will keep you safe because you believe in turnaround. Come on and give God a shout of praise. A turnaround. Think about this. Here Jesus is preaching. The place is full. Listen to what it says. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Everybody say carried. I want to turn around without any weight. I want to turn around with no effort. I want to turn around with no sacrifice. I'm going to tell you something how to get a need. I want to tell you honestly how many need a financial turnaround. Raise your hand. How many honestly need a financial turnaround? Raise your hand. You know how you do get a financial turnaround? Give like crazy. Your money. I'm telling you. What if I'm on a fixed income? Still do it. What if I'm on government assistance? Still do it. You'll get a turnaround. Because God's not a liar. Because every time I needed a financial turnaround, guess what I did? I decided to write a big check. And I've seen God time and time again, time and time again, God do a turnaround for my life. Because you can go to all the, you, let me just tell you, you can study all the da David Ramsey and their wonderful financial peace, but if you don't write your 10%, I'm sorry, there's no turnaround. 
Or, or, or I'm telling you, or that may upset you. I'm here to stir you. Because you know what? There's people that come to me, oh, Brother Harkey, I can't pay my rent. I can't pay my bills. You know what? Perhaps you need to get to the place where you get desperate enough to obey the voice of God. Because you've been listening to that ding-dong too long that says you're not going to have enough. I got my cell phone back. Because I didn't have to give Apple another $1,000. Come on, I can give it to the kingdom of heaven now. Because planes turn around. Because see, a turnaround requires sacrifice. Which means they had to, I mean, no, most people don't come to church with a stretcher. Because they's in the stretcher. So that means they had to stop. We got to get something to carry him in. Right? We have to take time, which means we're not going to get our parking place. We're not going to get our favorite seats. Come on. Are you hearing me? We're gonna, we're, we're, we might miss the first song. We're not going to get to talk to our friends. But right now, this man needs to turn around, and that's more important than our seat. He's paralyzed. Now, I want you to hear this. Listen. When you think in terms of turnaround, you think creatively. Because when they got to church, the house was full. And there was no way in. And people in Idaho like your space. <laughs> That's why you moved here. <laughs> That's why you moved here from California. You want a space. <laughs> and so... You come to Idaho, and, and guess what? When there's no space in the church, you go home. I got to be in a church where I got... I mean, we've been practicing social distancing way before the CDC. <laughs> this is Idaho. But here's what happens. They get to church. They can't go through the front door. They can't go through the back door. They can't go through the window. So here's the question. How in the world are we going to get a turnaround when there's no possible way in? How are you going to get your cell phone back when you're on the tarmac of a major airport already on the plane? Now, church, if I would have found out that we were in the air, I would have asked them to turn the plane around. But sometimes people think it's too late for a turnaround. I've missed my moment. Let me, I'm here to tell you, you haven't missed your moment. You have not missed your moment. It is not too late for a turnaround. So that means, and it's interesting that when they brought the paralyzed man, 
and they found out that they had this particular conflict or this problem, this obstacle in front of them that they can't get them to where Jesus is, they don't just leave them at the doorstep of the church and expect somebody else to pick him up and feel sorry for him. And just hope that maybe someone will bring him to God. Oh, this is as far as we can go. This is as far as we can bring him. There's no way out. I can imagine. That's why I know for sure these four men were not Jews. They were from Idaho. And so they kind of, what I think they did is they probably marched around the perimeter of the building, you know, to check in the, if there's any way we can get them in. And then one of the boys looked up and said, well, there's a roof. There's a roof. The problem is, is how do you get a paralyzed man on a roof with no ladder? Because most people don't have a roof and a ladder leaning on the roof. Now, you could preach it the way you want, but I'm going to preach it the way I want, okay? I got the microphone. Well, people said they had a parapet wall. You can say that. that. You can preach it that way. But the question is, how do you get a paralyzed man to the roof of God's house? And the point is, is this is exactly what they did. When you think in, turn, in terms of turnaround, you don't think in terms of obstacles. Because you think in terms, maybe the roof is the only possible way. Maybe what we need to do is go to the highest spot in God's house. Oh, come on. Maybe we're, we need to get him to a place where nobody has ever been. Come on. And honestly, this is how I see it is, because first of all, the guy's already bust up. He is already paralyzed. But because they have thought, imagine, you know, they, they, their imagination has been sanctified, and they thought creatively that all of a sudden, this is what I believe, because this is what they would do in Idaho. Two guys probably climbed up. And the other two guys probably, because the guy's paralyzed, so it really doesn't matter, you know. Because you got to understand, sometimes we get so religious and how to witness to people and how to heal people when they don't even know their right hand from their left. Oh, we went to school and they told us how to do it this way. Let me tell you, it doesn't work that way. So I honestly believe that this is what they did. That, that two guys went up on the roof. The other two guys are on the ground, and they decided, hey, you take his legs, you take his arms, we'll climb up to the top on the count of three, roll him back and forth, and we'll just toss him up on the roof. <laughs> hey, when you're paralyzed and you can't say nothing, come on. <laughs> you know what? There's people that need to be tossed here in Valley. They need to be tossed into the presence of God. They need to be tossed in the river of God. They need to be tossed up in the altar. Oh, but that's not protocol, Brother Harkey. 
They don't know what protocol is from prophecy. He's paralyzed. Okay, bro. On the count of three, let him go. And I can imagine the first time, oh, you missed. <laughs> Hit the side of God's house. Well, it's already a mess. It's not going to really matter much now. Because they're from Idaho and they eat elk meat. <laughs> they said, well, try it again. One, two, three. Oh, you threw him over the house. <laughs> it don't matter. He needs to turn around. Hear me one more tell you. Listen this. It says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, what did they do? They made an opening in the roof above Jesus. Now hear this. How they got in there. Don't put what I just said in the commentary. <laughs> the point is they got in there. And the point is that when they got him to the roof, they didn't let him slip off. See, when you love people, you won't let them slip out of here. You want them to slip out in a fence. You won't let them slip out into their confusion. I'm going to keep you here until you get your miracle. So they had tile roofs. This is correct. So the point is, because we all know that they made an opening. In other words, they tore the roof off. And the point is, is that none of us can see through tile. So how in the world were they able to find the spot where Jesus was? You know what that tells me? That tells me that these men wanted to turn around so bad for this paralyzed man that they got on their knees and they put their ear on the roof of God's house and found the spot where God's voice was loudest. See, I know something. You'll find your turnaround where the spot, you'll find a spot in your life where God's voice is the clearest, where God's voice is the loudest. That's where you begin to stay. And I can imagine one of them who was holding on to him just so that he wouldn't slip off. The other three looking around to find the spot, getting on their knees, crawling up and down the roof. Come on. See, what we need is people on their knees crawling on the roof of God's house. God, where's the spot? Where's the spot, God? And they put their ear. And I could hear, I could hear one of the guys say, I can hear him. I can hear him. I can hear him speaking. I can hear him preaching. I can hear him talking about the kingdom. I can hear the sound of his voice right here. Because they couldn't just open, make an opening just anywhere. 
And sometimes in our charismatic Pentecostal circles, we make the opening in the wrong place. Oh, there's no open heaven here. Now think about this. Think about what they did. So here they are. It says, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. I thought Jesus ministered with an open heaven. That's not true everywhere. Especially when he came to a house full of contentious religious people. And we'll find out that later, a little bit later in the text. Because there was no miracles happening prior to this miracle. Jesus was teaching, but it didn't have the impact upon the hearers that it did. But there was four guys outside the house that says, I got to bring an impact. I don't want, I, because I understand my responsibility that yes, Jesus can minister and does minister with an open heaven, but there's a responsibility that I have to make an opening between heaven and earth. Yeah. Oh, come on. There's a responsibility that every one of us in this room, that's why when the worship team sings a song, don't twiddle your thumbs and start texting on your iPhone. This is the house of God. This is a holy house. This is a holy house. I don't care if you're on your cell phone the rest of the day, but can you give God 45 minutes of your praise? Because here's what happens. Here's what happens. They're sitting in the house and there's no open heaven and Jesus is there. Jesus is there. My passion in my heart, I'm burning on the inside that I would not want Jesus in my house, but yet nothing is being transformed. There's no impact. There's no turnaround for anybody. Because nobody thinks and thought in terms of turnaround. Now let's see if his doctrine's right. Let's see if he says it right. If he fits in with our traditions. It says they made an opening above Jesus by digging through it. <laughs> there are certain things that you've got to dig through. Let me just tell you, even though it's a small thing, this cell phone, God is using, I believe God has used already this morning this story because I had to dig deeper then the natural thought of, okay, you're never getting this back. I had to dig deeper. Because let me just tell you, you could go to all the deliverance classes. Praise God, I hope you do. But you will never get rid of your stronghold unless you dig deeper. You've got to dig deeper. And these guys dig deeper than anybody else sitting in church. They had to pull the tiles off. They had to pull the wood off. They had to pull everything off. Meanwhile, gold dust is falling. falling. <laughs> dust is falling. Could it be that these manifestations are really hungry people wanting to dig deeper than they've ever been before? 
And this is this. It says, and they lowered the mat the man, the man was lying on. Which means they probably took their shirts off as ropes. You know why? Because they didn't want to bring the man in the back row or the balcony. They wanted to bring the man at the feet of Jesus. Because when someone's that paralyzed, they don't need to be left in the foyer or left in the parking lot. They need to be at the feet of Jesus because it's at the feet of Jesus was where the miracle is going to happen. And it's interesting that the house was full, but there was nobody at the feet of Jesus prior to this man being lowered down. Now hear me. I love this. When Jesus saw their faith, I want to ask you a question. Verse 5. Can Jesus see our faith? I don't want to just say, Pastor Rich, I believe in Jesus and I have faith. Because if you might look at, oh, Brother Harkey, he has faith to ask for a, pie, a plane to turn around. I, that don't matter how you see my faith. Just Jesus see my faith. You know, good to see you, Brother Renee. I, I, I mean, Jesus has to see that my faith is real. Which tells me something, ladies and gentlemen. Here's Jesus preaching in a house full of people. Meanwhile, there's a lot of noise going up on the roof. Come on. But it's heaven noise. Because Jesus wants to minister to open heaven right now. And all of a sudden, lo, here comes through the mat this, this paralyzed man. Before he did anything, you know what he did? He looked up and saw. Oh, come on. Usually, we're the ones, we're the ones looking up at Jesus. But in this case, Jesus is looking up at these four guys and says, oh my goodness. I don't know about you, but if Jesus looked up at me like that, oh, your faith, John, I'd fall right through the roof right there. But can you imagine... Can you imagine if we had this entire congregation was like those four men? I see Valley Church's faith. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, listen to this. Son, your sins are forgiven. Wow. Why did he say that? He didn't say get up and walk first. You know why he didn't say get up and walk? Because sin is more paralyzing than anything. Anything. 
because there's people walking around in the house of God. There's people walking around all over the world. There's athletes that can run faster than the speed of light. Come on. But they're paralyzed. Because if your sins are not forgiven, you're really paralyzed. Oh, that's an old school message. That's the problem. That's the problem. That's the problem sometimes with this generation. Oh, that's, that's an old message. No, it's still the message. There's still a cross. There's still a cross that you need your sins to be forgiven. That's how you receive heaven. And people say, oh, I don't want to hear that cross message. It's so old. That's the problem. That's, oh, I want to see the newest revelation. That's the problem. The revelation is right now. You want to open heaven? Guess what happened? Sin gets forgiven when there's an open heaven. He says this. Which means these four men interrupted Jesus' sermon. tells me about my Jesus uh, they're not listening anyway I'm going to address my attention to these guys who are listening <laughs> oh come on yes they're the ones that are believing for a turnaround for their city they want to uh, turn around for Capernaum they want to turn around for Paris and they want to turn around for everybody in the church too because they didn't want the church to minister without an open heaven. Yes. Jared, I hope your fingers don't get tired. Now listen to this. This is how I know. I want, I want, I want you to understand verse 6 because I want to just spend a couple of minutes on verse 6. It says, Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, they say thinking to themselves that's the problem you're thinking about yourself <laughs> thinking to yourself that means you're thinking about you <laughs> can you imagine having God in your presence like that and you're thinking about you tell you when God shows up he says no 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 I don't want you anybody thinking about yourself think about who I am what I'm saying thinking to themselves <laughs> which means what they thought is what Jesus is supposed to agree to <laughs> I want to let you know something I've discovered this Jesus doesn't think like us We're called to think like him. <laughs> That's why he came. Thinking to themselves. Because I found out the more I think to myself, the more paralyzed I become. Because if you really think about who's really paralyzed here, That's why people who come to church and just think about themselves never leave healed. They're paralyzed. 
and they think to themselves and then and here's what happens why did this fellow talk like that he's blaspheming who can forgive sins but God alone which means they never came to church for a turnaround. They came to church to disprove the ministry that was ministering to them. So what they're going to do, they're only going to go to a church that they approve of. And if we approve of your style, if we approve of how you do things, then we can receive from you. I'm going to tell you something. When I saw that, Meliana, this morning, as I was praying, the Lord spoke to me. Because, see, they had become contentious. We call that a contentious spirit. That means they are actually looking to bring a conflict into a place where there's miracles. And guess what? Jesus, Jesus said your sins are forgiven because he knew that he had to deal with that stronghold in their mind. Come on. Because they were contentious. They didn't come to receive from him. They didn't come to get healed. They didn't come to get delivered. Because they already thought they were already healed and already delivered. Let me just tell you, as I stand here in ministry for 24 years, I still need my deliverer. I still need my healer. I still need my savior. I don't care how God's used me. I still need him. And when we sang that song, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. You know why? Because there is a tendency for me to think too much to myself that I miss the word that coming out of Jesus' mouth. Who does this man think he is? I love my Lord. And the thing is, is, the problem is, is that whether we know it or not, Jesus reads our thoughts. <laughs> he reads every thought that passes through. And I honestly, honestly believe that the reason why he turned the plane around is instead of sitting thinking like John, I decided to think like Jesus for just a few moments. So I'll turn the plane around for you. How many could use a plane turned around for you? Your situation turned around for you? So turn around for you. And so what happened at that moment when they, because at that moment they said, once you said, you know, in other words, Jesus, once you said that that man's sins were forgiven, we can't hear a word you say after. And I can tell you this because I know this. 
Some people, once they hear a word that they don't receive, will shut you off. But guess what will happen? They never, ever get completely delivered. They shut off. They shut off the word of the Lord. They shut off the power of God that was ready for them to. Listen to this. It says, Immediately, verse 8, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. Which means you're not thinking about it. You're not thinking about the fact that isn't it wonderful that four guys had enough faith to do this? Because all you're thinking about is the mess in God's house. Let me just tell you, a move of God is always going to be messy. There's going to be dust. Come on. There's going to be holes. There's going to be things that need to be fixed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But I want to tell you right now, I'm of the persuasion that, you know what? It's God's house. It's God's house. And he doesn't mind the me a mess in, a in order to have a miracle. Come on. He would rather have that man forgiven and healed than to deal with the roofing project. But see, they're looking at the roof project. Oh, no. And the reason why some people do not experience revival is because the, the experience of the roofing pro project has more, has more weight on their heart than the miracle sta standing right in front of them. Listen to this. Got to start closing. Listen to this. Immediately, Jesus knew what they were thinking, what they were thinking in their hearts and said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which, when, when God says, why are you thinking these things, he's saying, stop it. That's what it really means. Because he's nicer than us, you know. Stop it. Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up. Take your mat and walk. Which is, I could have said, I could have said, get up and walk. And you know what would have happened? He'd have got up and walked. Walked out of the church and backslid. But if I say his sin's forgiven, and if I completely heal him, and make him whole. He's not going to be like you. <laughs> Come on. He, he's not going to backslide. He's not going to think to himself. Come on. He's going to completely made righteous. Can I hear an amen? He's going to have a complete turnaround. Because I know. Because you can be healed physically. But you are not healed with your sin nature. Then guess what? You need to turn around. You're not completely whole. Now listen to this. I've got to hurry. He says, so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Now here's the thing. This man didn't pray. 
This man didn't fast. But there are four guys up there. And because you made an opening in heaven, I'm going to do something that you've asked me. I'm going to give this man a turnaround. How many have a spouse that needs a turnaround? How many have kids that need a turnaround? Come on. I'm going to have people you work with that need to turn around. The state of Idaho needs to turn around. The mayor of Boise needs to turn around. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This country needs to turn around. Portland needs to turn around. Los Angeles needs to turn around. California needs to turn around. New York needs to turn around. People need to turn around. And I got some brothers over here that don't, don't mind throwing a paralyzed man up on a roof. But that's what it takes. I know they probably could do it. So guess what? I love this. Immediately, <laughs> said he took up, he got up, took up, took his mat and walked out in full, full view of them all. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'll tell you something. That means the boy got up with a swag. You didn't think I could do that, did you? <laughs> that means he got up looking at everybody. You see what my Jesus has done. He has given me a turnaround. I mean, that, that's the problem. That's why you shouldn't be coming to church with your head down. You shouldn't be, oh, no, oh, it's me. You need to come in the house of God with a swag because i got to turn around this week. I'm going to get preached to, prophesied over, and I'm going to fall out and run. <laughs> and fill view of them. <laughs> this amazed everyone. And they praise God saying, we have never seen anything like this. I've never seen a jet turn around on a tarmac. But I want to say something to you as I wrap this up. Many of us in this room, I want you to hear me. Because God wants you to want you to ask a little bit differently. Because sometimes we only ask according to our experience. Because experience told me planes don't turn around, so why ask? You've never seen it before. Experience told most of the people sitting in that church that paralyzed people don't get healed. Experience said you don't make a hole in the roof to lower a paralyzed man up at the feet of Jesus. You don't do that. That's what experience said. But see, some people are not led by the voice of God. They're led by their experience. And so they're limited in what they see God do 
because God wants to go beyond whatever you imagine, whatever you think, whatever you've experienced in your life. And here's the thing. When I'm sitting on that tarmac with my cell phone, I'm just, I'm in awe. I'm in awe. Because really, people say, well, you have favor, Brother Harkey. No. No. I don't have any more favor than you have. I want to honestly, I don't have any more favor than you have. But what I decided to do is believe that no matter what happens, no matter what happens in my life, I've decided, I've made a decision that God is the God of the turnaround. Lift your hands to Jesus all over the house. I feel the weightiness of the presence of God in this room. I feel the glory of God in this room. I feel like there's people in this room that need a turnaround.